What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, September 18th, 2022, and this week's episode, Autumn Battles on the Horizon. We'll recap last night's event, UFC Vegas 60, and the Bantamweight fight between Corey Sanhagen and Song Yudong. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news. A big-time featherweight fight has been announced for late October, and an MMA legend calls it a day. And we'll leave it off. We will look ahead to what's going on next week. But for right now, let's talk about what's going on. This is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Halfway through September, do you have your Halloween costume yet? Is it too soon? (laughs) Uh, it's always too soon. I'll be honest, I kind of <laughs> always know what I'm going to do, who I'm going to be. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, that you're going to be you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, I don't really stress too much about that kind of stuff. What about you? No, I don't either. Now I obviously have to think about it because of my son. But uh, no, I'm uh, I'm thinking about, I, I live my life day by day. I had King Taco today, and that was great. <laughs> A King Taco yeah. burrito. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Fast and Furious, quarter mile of your life at a time kind yeah, of exactly. deal. A quarter, a solid at a time. Now, when you're talking about like costumes, like do you try to coordinate like with your son, like big no. pumpkin, little pumpkin, no. nothing Never, like that? I mean, he's only two, so we've only had two. He's only he's gonna turn three, so we've only had two, right? Uh, he told me clearly. He says, "I don't want to wear a costume." I said, "Okay." Isn't that your call, though? No, no, I won't force him. But I said, okay. I said, because he likes like fire trucks. I was like, how about a fireman T-shirt? You know, just a T-shirt. He's like, mm-hmm. okay. So that's what he's gonna wear—a fireman, you know, like a firefighter T-shirt, but not like a full-on ensemble. That's that's not his style. He's just like his mom. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. I get that. All right. Well, let's talk about last night. Obviously, the fight between Corey Sanhagen and Song Yudong. As we discussed last week, Song was going into this fight. Pretty much he he was the one who had to step up. You know, he's been on a good run, but this was, you know, he's taken on a guy who's fought for the title, who's given problems to guys like Peter Yan, who has, you know, been in there and been neck and neck with Aljamain Sterling to get there for the belt. So this was the big test. And then, of course, how does Corey look coming off that layoff? And really, uh, I think that this fight, people kind of slept on it. I thought it was a very entertaining fight. I thought that Song actually gave Corey a lot of problems. I was very impressed with his gas tank. I was impressed with just his tenacity, obviously late in that fight. And we'll talk about the finish. It obviously wasn't the way anyone wanted as it got going. But months out. I saw a resilient Corey Sanhagen, but really the one who impressed me was Song and just his ability, his shot selection, mixed it up. He defended a lot. It was certainly not one-way traffic, and you saw Corey trying to kind of see if he could surprise him with some of that unorthodox arsenal, the flying knees, mess with him with his timing, mess with him with a couple of his different techniques. But Song really just kind of kept powering into Corey, and it just made for a very fun fight. What did you think? I, too, was impressed with Song Yudong. I especially liked his head movement. It wasn't always in use, but when he turned it on, uh, he could really avoid a lot of Sanhagen's punches, which come from all different directions because his arms are so long, you know. 
He can throw high. He can really sneak in an uppercut to the body. Like, you know, he's he's very clever that way. But Song Yudong did a good job. And the takedown defense was very, very impressive, too. At one point, he was fighting off a takedown, and he literally, like, rolled backwards off his toes. It was like a breakdancing move. It was, it, was, it was very cool. He's just all muscle. Um, so I was impressed with him. Corey was pretty much the same Corey with the addition of, um, you know, holding up Song against the cage, sort of reversing um, the TJ Dillashaw move onto his opponent instead of being the recipient. And then those elbows, man. I mean, that's the, that's the move of the night for him. Those step-in elbows. And you see in the replays how easy it is to, to be hit by them. It looks like it's just a regular punch coming down the line, and then he flips his arm up and you get a forearm to the to the temple or to the to the brow and uh you know we'll get into into how that resulted for song but um but yeah Corey Sanhagen looked good but I think so did Song Yudong so it's one of those where it's not quite a win-win but Song Yudong doesn't come out doesn't come out worse for the wear here I completely agree with you I thought that it was just one like you said, I think essentially you get two winners. I know Song probably doesn't feel that way. Um, right. I know Corey felt pretty, um, he just felt pretty comfortable with it and how he got the job done in the post-fight scrum. And this raises a whole, I mean, what the heck are we going to do with this? You know what I mean? Bantamweight, you've got the title coming up in about, really a, about a month now. Uh, with Aljamain and TJ Dillashaw, Chito Vera knocked out Dominic Cruz, Marab Devalishvili, decision Jose Aldo, uh, Corey comes out on top against Song, you have Sean O'Malley and Peter Young coming up, Henry Cejudo is apparently, according to Daniel Cormier, looking skinnier and looking closer to a comeback. So... I'll toss it to you. What? Uh, where do we go from here with everybody, not just Corey Song, but that bantamweight division, in your opinion? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I like his callouts, Corey's callouts to Cheeto and Marab, but um, now I'm confused. So where are we with uh, Aljo right now? Yeah, he's fighting T.J. Dillashaw next month. Okay, so that's fine. You know. It's kind of like I used to complain about the same thing with Jose Aldo, where it's just based on his name. He was getting all these title shots. And even though TJ Dillashaw had that terrible, you know, um, I guess sort of shameful two year ban for, you know, PEDs, like he came right back into it without missing a beat as far as, you know, accolades. He's just getting pushed right up to the top because of his name. Okay, fine. Um, so. Piotr Jan. I would like to see Piotr Marab and then Corey. Well, and remember, Chido. Peter's already scheduled for Sean O'Malley. Oh, geez, of course he is. I was with you. That's I know. It's a Sunday. I know. <laughs> you probably just said that too. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all um, good. Okay, well. <laughs> all right, so, so let's think. Let's think. Uh, all right, so I think it's fair to say Sean O'Malley looks good. I'll be honest, Sean O'Malley wins even controversially. I feel like he gets a title shot. I think that uh, just feeling the love that you, Dana White gives to those contender series guys, and I know like 
I mean, just this season, there's like 50, it feels like already, right? That he's given contracts to. That being said, I kind of feel like with his star power, with his, he just kind of taps into a different portion of fan base. Coupled with the fact that if Sean O'Malley goes on to win a title, it's like the biggest marketing thing for the contender series. And in terms of keeping the UFC on top long term, getting guys to say, hey, I want to be like Sean O'Malley, you don't have to do six weeks, seven weeks of tough. You could just train at home, be ready for contender in the summer. I feel like it's just a no-brainer that a Sean O'Malley win would get him the next title shot, whether it's Aljo, TJ, whatever. Let's say that doesn't happen. I mean, I'd say Cheeto's right there. I think that guys like Marab, um, and I know he's on six or seven fight win streak, that last one just didn't do him any favors. So I do feel like Marab has to be... Uh, I think that Marab, at this point in the game, he should be talking all the trash he can to Henry Cejudo. Get get him at a good time. Um, I don't mind the Corey Sanhagen fight, but I feel like that's the one. All right, let's see what I could do with this. Maybe, you know, if I had to pick, I'd go Marab, go against Henry rather than Corey, just because I feel like that makes for more, more intrigue, and I think that helps Marab get what he needs. Um, Corey, he'll get someone maybe the loser of Aljo and TJ because those fights, I feel like there's just desire to watch them both get run back. So, but yeah, essentially that's how I see it. I think that Cheeto, if Cheeto's the backup, or actually, no, Corey Cheeto. There we go. We fixed it. How about that? Yeah, I I can't argue with that. I know, it's a lot, isn't it? I'm sorry? You need like the whole chart, like with the lines connecting the names to everybody. (laughs) Yeah, but in all, all honesty, it's just um, it's just a lot of uh, drama in that division. And I think that I heard Michael Chiesa say this on the pre-fight show. The next guy don't you get you get too much when you start making making a contingent on oh if this person wins then that means this, which takes a lot of the fun out of it. But I think that it's also important to kind of think forecast these things. So. Does okay? Does Aljamain move up if he defeats TJ because he's BFFs with Marab? I don't know, but that would make it more complicated. In which case, Marab does need a Henry Cejudo, or he does need a Corey Sanhagen or a Cheeto. Um. So yeah, for my money though, Sean O'Malley will be option number one. Then Cheeto. Everybody else, uh, y'all pick each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, you guys figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. But um, like I said, in one month, we'll know everything. You know, we'll have options. And I'm sure Aljo will discuss the future and TJ will discuss the future. It'll be good. Um, Moving on. Uh, on the card, Gregory Robocop Rodriguez. Let me tell you something. The whole third eyebrow, not even the third. He just went full unibrow. Comes back to stop Chidi and Jaquani, who look good. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, just that finish. Uh, yeah, the finish is is ballsy, and yeah, considering the damage that was done, and it's harder to see 
you know, at home, if you're not like right, if you're, you know, I'm watching from my sofa and like the TV's far away. So I'm like, oh yeah, that looks like a bad cut. Well, then when you start piecing it all together, <laughs> you go on Instagram, you go, okay, that's, I mean, we'll get into it. But just specifically the finish, yeah, it was impressive coming. The thing is, is like if he had seen himself in the mirror, you know, in between rounds, who knows, right? But when you don't know, uh, it's like, you know, when you scrape your knee and you don't realize how bad it is, you think you're fine until you look down. So when you don't, when you don't really know what, how bad it is, you can, you can keep going. And I think that uh, he, he did that. And at the end, you know, he says, I'm, I'm prepared to die in here. And it certainly looked that way. So an impressive win. Um, but I think the real story is just the, the cut itself, right? The, the close-up pictures of what that thing looked, up, looked like before it got stitched up. I'm sure you've taken a look at them, right? Unless you're like too squeamish, I don't know. I mean, so full disclosure, I'm actually really cool with RoboCop. That's He's, right, uh, you are. Uh, yeah. I've known him since before Contender Series. Nicest guy. I, I, no, seriously, like nicest dude. Um, but my word, obviously, he turns into a different animal when he's out there in the cage. Um, I, I've been very impressed. I think that the biggest compliment, and I say this every time I talk about him, he's kind of figured out at a younger age what took a guy like Jacare a minute because Robocop's actually, you know, more of a grappler. It's just in more recent years, he's kind of cracked that code how to use his athleticism and his frame and really just let those hands go and um he's working with a great team at stanford and he's just uh i just like how he's been developed over time in the ufc uh he has had a few fights i believe he has one loss but the fact is he's just slowly building i'm sure the ufc sees him you know he's gotten two or three bonuses now in four fights uh look it obviously looks great for him so far but just Kind of like Adrian Yanez, just keep building, giving them those good matchups. And, you know, he will get to those big fights sooner rather than later, the way he's fighting. You don't want to have a unibrow every fight. So I kind of don't want to say, <laughs> oh, it, it's time for him. Top 10, you know, let's go. But I think that the way he's going, he's looking very good and he's showing some good stuff in his career so far. Yeah, he has. And uh, this will only add to the, uh, you know, the, the appeal, if you will, um, as he continues his, his UFC career. Um, you know, respectfully, that the way he managed that, um, I mean, I just, I see the pictures, right, of, you know, each that purple tube in the forehead. Yeah. Is that the same? I think it's a vein. Is it a ten? I don't think there's. I mean, what the heck is it? I don't know. But like the, I was. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall backstage. I, I wonder when he first saw it, uh, what his reaction was, and uh, how long it took to stitch that up because that is that is a complicated, uh, you know, suturing there for whoever had to do that. Um, I hope it's not something that's going to be a vulnerable point going forward. But the fact that he took that knee. And, it, of course, it cut him, but the fact that he took it and it, it didn't really stun him at all is, is really impressive. Like, he is a tough, tough man. Also, it's one of those things, I mean, Corey, sorry, uh, Song had some time to work before they called it off, obviously, in the corner, right? Yeah, right, With the Corey Sanhagen cut. 
Mm-hmm. And it, you know, you you got to think even Song maybe feels a little bit like, man, you let Robocop go out there with a the third eye. And, I know. You know. It is what it is, right? But um, yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. It's going to take a minute. But he's got time. I think that the middleweight division, there's a lot to be sorted out at the top. But for him, you know, just keep working your way back up and I'm sure it'll happen soon. And then, you know what, Natalie, I'm going to toss it to you. Talk to me about Joe Pfeiffer, because I feel like he has been for not altogether bad reasons, but he has been the unexpected talking point of the latest season of Contender Series. And now finally he goes out there and does Joe Pfeiffer things in the octagon for real. What were your thoughts on his performance? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the finish is is brutal when you get that sound, that crack that's like a home run home run crack. Dude. You know something something sick has happened. And actually that's the same sound you heard when when Rodriguez, you know, ran into that knee. Um it was it was vicious. It was it was almost like um like <laughs> It, it almost felt like like it was like a prison like you're in a prison the way he just kind of walked up to him and just wham sent that arm flying and then the aggression and the you know the the gestures over his his body as he as he throws that last that last punch um, this is someone to watch out for for sure and you can see why he made it made the cut right if you know this is exactly what Dana White's looking for from the contender series like he wants that aggression that desire to finish as fast as possible you know going in there with that savage mentality and it seems like uh joe piper has that in spades so a heck of an exciting finish it's like you can't get that in every fight but in your heart of hearts it's what every mma fan wants out of every fight right (laughs) that kind of finish so contender series this year it's so weird right because the novelty I would say has worn off, right? Like we've had how many seasons this is like six year, six year, seven, a contender. It's yeah. not, you know, Snoop Dogg and Uriah Faber doing the alternate commentary. Oh God, right. You know, it's clearly its own little mini machine. And I think that subtly look, Dana White, he kind of promotes it without really promoting it the way that it, what it actually does. But Essentially, Dana White knows that he's created the most desirable path to the UFC. You do your thing and, you know, you don't necessarily always have to be an LFA champ or a cage warriors or someone like that, right? To get to contender, you have essentially all these local guys pretty much jumping over each other to try to get a contender series spot every year. Yeah. But one of the things that helps about that is that... um. Dana White is aware of that, and I think that it's no knowing that it shouldn't surprise you that Dana White doesn't talk after every fight night, but he talks after every contender series episode. Oh my God. He loves to talk. Like he's just like, let's go. Yeah, he loves to talk after contender series. <laughs> yes. And I think that it's all on purpose, right? He he wants people to realize how big of a deal this is because he wants fighters coming up to know, and it's great for UFC business as a whole. Now Joe Pfeiffer, obviously kind of a little notorious, he gets the only knockout on episode one that notoriously had like four out of five go to decision. Mm -hmm. 
And obviously people were like, oh, this is boring. And Dana White does the whole, well, Lorenzo Fertitta, I told him he's got to come out. And, you know, he he just, let's just say it, he, he kind of just shoot on everybody. He, he just did. said, every, yeah. like, everyone was boring. And I, I felt sorry for Lorenzo. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, right? Mm-hmm. All this stuff. Or Lorenzo jinxed it. I forget what he said. But, you know, and then it's like, everyone, you need to be like Joe Pfeiffer. And now that's become like a talking point every Tuesday because we love those Dana scrums because yep. we get him to talk about a lot of things that are not contender or UFC. Exactly. That's when he talks. Yeah. Suddenly that's the talking point every week. You got to be like Joe Pfeiffer. You got to be like Joe Pfeiffer. And then Joe Pfeiffer did Joe Pfeiffer things. So I think I'll just say this. Best thing that ever happened to Joe Pfeiffer was eight other guys and girls being boring. <laughs> but best thing that happened to him he backed it up when it people counted. keep people keep bringing up his name imagine if everyone lit up would we still be bringing up joe pfeiffer as much as we have this year no well, no don't get me wrong he freaking kicks some butt but you know i think that hey sometimes things just work your way right yeah uh, quite the night two other guys who are looking to have uh, quite the show. On October 29th, for MMA News, the UFC announced that they are having Calvin Cater take on Arnold Allen. Now, Calvin, you'll remember earlier this summer, goes to decision with Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett gets the dub. Calvin Cater said, hey, what the heck? But it is what it is. Yeah. Arnold Allen, um, I just wrote this down, I believe 11 fight win streak. Yeah, yeah. He's looked absolutely fantastic, right? The problem injuries and a multitude of other circumstances have essentially brought him down to about one fight a year since 2014. Very hard to develop momentum, right? I mean, freaking Cowboy Cerrone, he fought 11 times in two years. This has been (laughs) almost eight now for Arnold, right? Yeah. So you, you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. The point of this, though, is that for Arnold, big name, he's trying to build on that big victory over Dan Hooker in March. And then for Calvin, he looked good earlier this year taking on Giga Chikotse. If you get, you beat Giga at the time and you beat Arnold where he is right now, even though you lost that one to Josh Emmett, you are still looking pretty good for whatever goes on at 45. Because the impression that we're getting is that Volk is going to either see if they do something in Australia. If not, he's just going to push straight up to try to get the Charles Oliveira Islam Mahachev winner. So I think that this is a big fight for both men. Not for nothing, it's going head-to-head with Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva. Very tough ratings-wise, but I digress. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so it's a good matchup, and and it does seem like Volkanovski is going to move up, and that's good. I think he's done what he's needed to do in 145. He blitzed through everybody that mattered. And, you know, unfortunately for Calvin, um, unfortunately for Max Holloway, he, you know, he got three wins over him. So I like Volkanovski just moving up and on. And and then it becomes exciting again at 145. And so this fight becomes way more meaningful than it would have a few months ago. So Calvin Cater is one of those guys that is always good slick boxing is always reliably entertaining and you hate to see him lose because you know if he could 
if you could string them together enough, it would lead to something big. Um, and Arnold Allen, I mean, you, you summed it up pretty well there. So I'm looking forward to this fight. As far as matchup or head-to-head um, with Jake Paul, Anderson Silva, I think the timing will work out just fine so that if you are one of those people on a Venn diagram that is interested in watching both of these things on the same night, you you can. Um, as soon as as soon as you know Cater Allen finishes, you can just go flip the switch and, and watch uh, you know Anderson Silva walk out to Ain't No Sunshine, you know, <laughs> and <you're> good. <laughs> no, I, I completely get it. Um, you know, for this one, just I imagine the the chatter we're hearing is that if the UFC gets things done to go to Australia. Uh, like early next year. I don't. I don't know. I'm assuming they're trying to see what they do with January, February, because you feel like March. All right, they're for sure gonna go back to Vegas like they usually do. But if you could get something going in January, February, then that's perfect for like okay, bring Volk, bring Robert Whitaker. Uh, good timing for a guy like Dan Hooker. Uh, just you know. Uh, also a bunch of CKB guys, everyone except Adesanya. And yeah. let's say by some stretch, Adesanya just happens to first round KO Pereira. I could also imagine them saying, hey, you know, quick turnaround, let's go, right? Anything could happen. So, But for my money, I feel like Volk, just the timing. I think that they're looking at with the calendar have Volk and Yair if they can make it in January or February and then just go from there in terms of later this year, you know, does the Charles Islam winner fight uh, Dariush or Gamrot or do they fight a, um, you know, a guy like Volk who could be coming off a victory. So I think that's just where they're at. <sighs> and of course, this leads me to talk about it because as we talk about the latest UFC featherweights, we must now discuss the departure of arguably the most beloved UFC featherweight of all time, the King of Rio. It has been reported and confirmed, has been released from his UFC contract. He is retiring from MMA. He is leaving the door open for boxing. It is Jose Aldo Jr. Um, What can we say about Jose Professional since 2004, champion from about 2000, I want to say it was 2009, 2010, to 2015, won the belt again in 2016, just absolutely, uh, just one of the most talented fighters, most gifted athletes that we've ever seen in UFC history, just you watch him just amazing technically uh just in terms of his schedule fought the who's who 35 and 45 um i mean i'm I'm gonna toss it to you we'll obviously have a lot of time to discuss mr aldo but yeah just what is your reaction to the retirement of a true legend i think it surprised me, first of all, because he's been looking so great at 135, even though he came off of a loss just recently. The, you know, the last four fights that Jose Aldo has had at 135, his boxing has been incredible. 
and his speed has been also incredible. He spent some time, like a lot of time training with the Brazilian Navy or something like that, right? And so the boxing, the, the boxing, you know, uh, arm of the Navy and, and it really inspired him. It got him excited and it, it upped his game, man. He came out like with really slick boxing. So looking back at the whole career, yeah, 145, he ran through the gamut and fought everyone and beat everyone, uh, you know, up until up until Max Holloway. But amazingly, made a second really successful career for himself at 135, which I did not expect. When he went down, I thought it was a really mm, unwise move. I was worried that he wouldn't be able to make the cut. I mean, everybody was, and how would he perform? Didn't come swinging right out the gate, but when he found his groove, he found it, and he beat a lot of really strong competitors, also at 135, and because he was coming down with that 45 legacy, they were just putting him right in there against the best. There was no warming up, there was no ramping up. It was just like, you're Jose Aldo, we wanna put your face on a poster, you gotta fight this guy, now you gotta fight this guy. Now you gotta I mean, and he was game for all of it. I just keep going back to how amazing he looked at the end of the career, which doesn't always happen. So that's why I'm surprised that he retired, but I get it. What's the what's the what's the best result you can have now at this point uh, at 135? And I, he must have been taking a hard, long, long, hard look at, at at those options, and about and and the way UFC structures its deals, where they don't let you just sign one or two fights, right, or three. They kind of tie you in. For a long, the long haul, and then you're, and then you could either feel trapped or feel very secure, and and comfortable riding off into the sunset. Jose Aldo has always wanted to do different things. He talked about soccer. He talked about you know boxing, and so with this new love for boxing, this new dedication that he has to it, I think it does make sense, and it's a smart move. And I'm glad the UFC, you know, didn't stand in his way, so now he can go carve out whatever you know, path he, he wants to in the world of boxing. I, I'll watch. He's he's an incredible athlete. I'll watch it. Yeah, to me, um, the future, look, I don't know if there's necessarily guys that leap out like a Jake Paul, you know. And by the way, for fans who are just not on, you know, don't follow enough, Jake Paul is probably about 50, 60 pounds heavier than all what Aldo has fought at in UFC. Not going to happen. Um, that being said, you know, look, like you said, in boxing, he's looked so fantastic. And I think you got to think a guy like Aldo, he sees, okay, I don't have to worry about my wrestling and jujitsu. I could box. I'm still fast. I'm still feeling good. You just, you know, you could focus on the thing you're great at. And, you know, whether it's 10 fights or maybe just two fights, three fights. Okay, go out there, get paid. You know, there's, there's a big big market for a guy like Jose Aldo if you have the right opponent available. So I don't doubt that he sees options like that. I saw that his wife just gave birth to his son today. Uh, congratulations. So the big picture, I just think, okay, it's just it's just a good time. Like you said, when you look at the UFC bandweight division, yeah, he looked good, but look who we just talked about. You've got Chito, Marab, O'Malley, Sanhagen. Song now. Henry Cejudo coming back. Like, where do you, you know, for a guy like Aldo, are you really interested in having to fight another three or four guys to get back to a title shot right now? 
or are you do you really look forward to being like oh i'll fight like once a year until kind of like the process of elimination puts me there closer as opposed to having to beat everybody in front of me yeah you know that's not appealing to a guy at 36 years old right so and having already accomplished everything that he has so uh, i definitely understand and I think we all knew when he lost to Marab, this was it. One fight left on his deal. And uh, I, I'm glad the UFC said, hey, look, we're not going to try to push it. If you feel like content, you're done. Good for you. I thought maybe he fights in Rio in January. It felt like a oh, perfect send-off, right? Last fight. One more for the fans. Give him a good matchup. Let's just enjoy it. But... Once again, you do not play MMA. It's really serious. And if his heart knew that this is the end of the line, why put yourself through it one more time? Yeah, okay. exactly. I just want to talk about better times. When you think about the career of Jose Aldo, and there's, yes, a lot of great moments. Um, do you have one that just really stands out to you? Like, oh, like, that's the man, that's Jose. Yeah, there was... Um... Moicano when he when he fought I know it was, it's later I know there's you know classic leg kicking 45 uh, weight class Jose Aldo but um, I remember when he just blitzed through uh, Hanato Moicano and I was like wow who is this guy like Jose Aldo is is reborn uh, that's one of the ones that sticks in my mind a lot and there was somebody else either before that or after that Jeremy Stevens maybe somebody yep. else that he also just demolished the body, shot. the body shots yeah and it was like, you're beating younger dudes in their prime, and, like, you're just going right through them. And you've already had a full career. He could have retired after 45. Full career. And he's just, like, you know, Phoenix rising from the ashes. So those are the ones that I think about uh, the, the, the second run of his career at 35. I mean, you just think about the highlights, like, flying knee, Cub Swanson. Like, when I tell you that he connected with the first knee but he got up so high and so fast that he actually was able to clip cub with the second knee before he landed <laughs> i don't know if you could really get that without watching the clip but it, it happened um you know uh, and then you think about like you said the moicano finishes stevens chad you know it, he he's had so much and enjoyed so much i'm gonna go though that first chad mendez fight in rio because to me, that's where he earned the the King of Rio mm. title. Like, and look, there's a lot of great Brazilians, a lot of great Brazilian champions who have lived in Rio, but that iconic moment. And by the way, I say this as a born and raised American. I am aware that you know you had all American Chad Mendes with his wrestling. Um, going down the enemy territory. I believe Chad was undefeated at the time. And Jose Aldo goes out there, defends the takedowns. I'm not going to lie. Not a lot happened. They were still revving up. At the buzzer, holds Chad's arm out, sets him up, cracks him with the knee, gets the finish, does not pass, just passes go, does not collect $200, leaps out of the cage, goes like a couple... (laughs) rows into the lower bowl and just joins the crowd everybody's just hanging on and partying and it's like you know part two of the carnival 
Yeah. You know, never stop to hear the decision from the ref, never stop to talk to Joe Rogan, just went off. And, you know, I believe years later, like, it might have even been just a UFC thing, like, oh, the King of Rio, they play the clip, they play a highlight, and it just rolls, right? And the name just sticks. I mean, to me, though, like, that really encapsulates Jose, not just because, obviously, an iconic moment, but... I think it speaks to how he carried himself. I think the one knock on Aldo, for whatever reason, he never really, for all the great performances and the the longevity, never really clicked mainstream. Like, he was a specifically MMA super... MMA fans knew what was up. Yeah. But you really... Look, when you have a guy like Connor now, maybe a bit of Hamzad, a bit of a guy like... Uh, Israel Adesanya, people who don't normally talk about MMA are suddenly live tweeting these things, right? Mm-hmm. Jose Aldo, it was only MMA people that seemed to really like, bruh, have you heard about Scarface from Brazil and all this stuff, <laughs> right? And, you know, I think part of it, I know it seemed at a time there's like this big push, oh, like you got to learn English, you got to connect with the, the Western Hemisphere and the Americas and all that, right? And he was just like, D- you know, I do my thing. I do my interviews in Portuguese. I understand everybody for the most part. I just do my thing. And then there's the fact that he never really got into the bravado. He never really got into the trash talking. He just kind of was like, look, you know, just I'm Jose Aldo. You know what I do. I go out there and I win. And he just kind of let that sell the fight each time. And, you know, did that help? And I think I'd like us to talk about it maybe a little bit with the Conor McGregor thing. It kind of made him the perfect yin to the yang of Conor in that big fight. But, yeah, you know, like, look, this is who I am. I'm this guy from Brazil. I was bullied. I found martial arts. I loved it. And I just kept going with it. And it gave me everything. You know, international superstardom, it really wasn't his thing. And I think that that was a big part of how he carried himself. And, you know, look, he enjoyed an amazing career. He really joins all those Brazilian legends like Anderson Silva and Gracie and all the guys over the years. He's right there with them. And I think that he should be very proud of everything he's accomplished in MMA. What about you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he is right up there with them. It's, you know, you know, the, everyone always says the Mount Rushmore. Where, well, yeah, I mean, whatever the equivalent would be in Brazil He's up there for sure, you know, with with his uh, uh, arm around Anderson Silva's waist and Silva's arm around his shoulders. Like that's that's where he belongs. And um, the, the as far as not breaking out, you know, past the MMA crowd, I'm sure he preferred it that way. And I don't know what it was like in Brazil, but with the Conor McGregor stuff, you know, that was that was one where perhaps being too quiet you know worked against him because it might have helped him to get on the mic and and sling some mud just to get it out of his system so he didn't have it all pent up for the fight but you know how many people can come back from from that the way he did i mean and it took him a little bit to get the engines going again and there was always talk from then on of oh you know is it time whenever he had a loss is it time for him to to hang him up and like he just kept digging deeper pushing harder and 
impressing us over and over again. And the loss to Marab was fine. It was just, you know, he was just not able to get the win that night, but it didn't feel like he got owned, like it was a blowout. It didn't feel like, I certainly didn't walk away from that fight thinking, oh, Jose Aldo should retire. This doesn't look good. You know, you can have a conversation about, well, what's next and, and what's the point, but not not because he didn't look like he was up for it. So I like, uh, back to the original point, I like that he didn't, you know, get really caught up in the whirlwind of it all and stayed true to himself. Um, and I think it, it paid off because now it's like, yeah, man, he's a cool dude and everyone respects him no matter what. And I don't think... Um, many people would say the same about a lot of fighters that do get on the mic and start spouting off whatever their career may be at the end of it you're still always going to be like oh well you know they said this and that but Jose Aldo kept it really kept it simple and he can he can walk off into the sunset with his head held high and, and that's pretty cool no absolutely I completely agree with you with how you summed it up I think um but you run that one back with McGregor, it doesn't end in 13 seconds. No. You look at the way McGregor was lighting people up. But hey, does McGregor still win? Quite possibly, but I understand why that one kind of went into the ether a bit, and it's like, well, it is what it is, right? Um, I remember reading like after post McGregor, it might have been for like the Max Holloway fight, you know. UFC post like you know the portraits and all that and it's just Jose Aldo shredded looking super cool and all the comments are like all I see is Connor's son 13 seconds and I was like bro are you serious like the level of haters and it took Mm -hmm. like you said it took a minute but any more people watch him? And I think you yeah, got guys that are like, dude, he's been doing this how many years? And he's just still bringing it I and know. lighting people up. And it was, like you said, the limitless guy. It's, it's like he just seemed to be aging in reverse. Like he's getting older, but he's just looking faster somehow. Uh, I, I agree with all of that. And so I think he goes down as as an athlete, one of the most talented that we've had just how fast he was, how explosive, but then as a fighter, how talented, you know, he had the great weapon with the kicks and decent striking and a great grappler, but he was so freaking good. No one's ever really seen Jose Aldo grapple because he's so good at defending takedowns, but then he evolved that into one of the best boxers we've ever seen to the point that he was still winning and he wasn't even using the leg kicks that made him famous in the first place. I know that's so crazy, isn't it? So, you know, I think that once again, like I said, he did it his way. Like you said, he wasn't one for the attention and probably liked it that way. Okay. One of the best fighters. And finally, last note, like 10 years in UFC title contention, he was either a champion fighting for titles or a top five, top four fighter in either weight class. It's just absurd. Tell me another fighter who has even been close to being that highly regarded their whole career of a decade in the UFC. People struggle to keep that for four years in UFC, even when you're on a roll. So the fact that for 10 years, two weight classes, this guy kind of just kept going 
and had the title and earned the defenses and all that. I mean, just bravo. And I hope the next chapter brings him a little bit of what we've seen before because he deserves it. So, uh, To the king, parabéns. It's been a great one. And Natalie, we've got some Bellator. Benson Henderson, Peter Queeley, uh, Yoel Romero, which all I'm going to say is I just want to see Yoel Romero do Yoel Romero things. Finally, I don't know about you. Please. What about yeah. you? That's all we've been wanting for. That's all we ever want. No offense to him. That's what he's best at. That's how he made his name. And since he's joined Bellator, it's like, okay. You know, I'm sure Bellator wants it too. Like, this is what we paid you for. Can you please bring it? It's just, bro. I mean, I, look, I'm looking forward to it. I think that he's got a dance partner who will do it with him in Melvin. So I think that that'll be a good one. And then next Saturday, it's a doubleheader. You have Bellator uh, coming up with uh, 286. So you have Patricio Pitbull and Adam Boric. AJ McKee makes his lightweight debut against Spike Carlisle. And then over in UFC, you have a big strawweight fight with Kenzie Dern taking on Yan Shonan in a big fight in terms of the rankings. What are your thoughts as we head out for that one? I'm excited to see AJ at 155. And yeah, Yan Shonan's no walk in the park. So if Mackenzie Dern can do anything to her close to what Carlos Barza did, like that's a big, a big boon for Mackenzie Dern. She'll be, she'll like if if she wins in in a you know semi exciting fashion, like it doesn't even have to be super thrilling, just something good, a good submission, a good knockdown. You know she'll be right up there for for next or close to next in line. I agree with you. I think that it's a big one. I think um. Obviously, knowing that Carla and Zhang Wei Li are on deck, I know they announced um, Marino Rodriguez and, uh, oh my gosh, Amanda Lemos. I was blanking on that one. So this is a big one at straw weight just to keep those pieces moving. So I'm just looking forward to it. And obviously, when you have the pairing of AJ and Pitbull, you just want to see it. Not together, just not even against each other. You just want to know what it's going to be like when they're in each other's orbit. I just think it's going to be great. So I'm looking forward to that. Guys, once again, we will be back. Well, I will be back next week. Natalie Zamudio is taking a bit of a week off to take care of some stuff. But promise you, we'll be back to talk about all of the action, preview the upcoming cards. So you guys are not going to want to miss it. Until then, have a good one.